0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, May 11th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Opting out of government is high on the wish list for many libertarians, and that kind of change is coming to the world, but maybe not in the United States just yet. Tom Bell is author of Your Next Government, From the Nation-State to Stateless Nations, we discussed opting out and the emerging idea of special U.S. economic zones.
1: To what extent uh, can people right now choose their governments? Right now, people can choose their governments, at least in the United States, to a large degree um, by way of homeowners associations, condominium associations, and and similar private communities. Some of these are the size of small cities with tens of thousands of people, schools, businesses, everything a city has. That's very common in the United States. So in the United States, yes, you can choose your government, municipal government, uh, very freely. Well, I'm thinking also of just moving. That's true. You can already do that. But the (laughs) nice thing with um, these private communities, you can stay within D.C. and move to a new condo association. And really, you spend most of your day in the building probably. You really have kind of a new government. That's a small example. There's bigger examples of choice in government, but that's one that's close to home literally. So –
0: scaling that up, that kind of opportunity to make those sort of marginal choices about what's allowed here, what's mandatory here, that sort of thing, uh, how much you pay for all of that. Um, How do we get from here to where we have this very, very broad ability to make significant choices about the various regimes that we uh, live within?
1: Uh, it's coming to the world already. It's, uh, it's coming to other parts of the world faster than the United States. I'll give you an example. Saudi Arabia with King Abdullah Economic City, a private community, um, the size and population projected of Washington, D.C., wherein women will be able to uh, go about without wearing facial coverings. They'll be able – well, now they can all drive in Saudi Arabia. But King Abdullah Economic City was initially proposed as this kind of alternative, freer lifestyle for everyone especially women. We don't have much of that in the United States. We don't need it as much. Other parts of the world have worse national governments, frankly, so they need to offer these opportunities. I'm working on bringing other people, similar opportunities to the United States, but it's not as much of a pressing problem, so it's not at the front of of public policy concerns yet. So I'm I'm thinking, I'm reminded of things like startup cities, leap
0: zones, uh, the fight over what terminology ends up getting used uh-huh. there.
1: Uh, where does that stand now? Well, again, it depends on the country. Um, in Honduras, their ZA program is probably on the cutting edge of of special economic zones in terms of what they've planned. But they've had some, um, well, some political struggles in Honduras. It slowed down the ZA program. We'll see how that goes. Another one is a new project in Saudi Arabia, uh, NEOM, twice the size of Connecticut, a huge development, and also the Seasteaders in French Polynesia. I've been working on that project. We're expecting legislation next week (laughs) out of French Polynesia, and uh, check with me after that, and I'll tell you what kind of a regime, legal regime they're offering.
0: When you talk about Saudi Arabia, the opportunity to opt out of significant elements of a pretty repressive regime, especially for, for women is has a very high marginal benefit, right? Uh, In the United States, maybe not so much. But in terms of opportunities to actually opt out of significant chunks of uh, being governed
1: uh, in a less voluntary way, how what opportunities do you see? For Americans, as of yet, not a lot unless they leave the country. Of course, some states are better than others, and in some sense, a state is a special jurisdiction. I think in America, the exciting things are coming down the pike. I um, have a proposal out. It's in the book. You can read about it for U.S. Special Economic Zones, and this is a proposal under which federal lands could be leased out to basically private governing services, and that would allow for a lot more experimentation than we can currently enjoy in the United States, not just... You know, now we can choose between states, but we're always we always have the same federal regime in these U.S. SEZs. There would be, for example, in small areas, experiments with uh, lighter regulation of labor laws, for example, or maybe environmental laws, so that we could try out in these places new policies in a limited, controlled way, and that would give us all opportunities in the United States to just move to Nevada to Googleville, say and see what it's like living under a different government.
0: I'm thinking about the, uh, the fact that Amazon is now deciding where to put this HQ 2 And that's going to have a huge impact in almost all of the places that it possibly could. And I don't think it's beyond the pale to suggest that companies like Amazon or Google or others could actually create uh, highly specific opportunities to for people to – make very different choices about what they
1: what they live under. I think that would be great because right now, there's actually, today I saw, there's a K to one bound piece about competition between uh, municipal governments for things like HQ2. And it's terrible because they're using our tax dollars to bring in these companies so that politicians can look like big shots. The U.S. SEZ program would be better because then Amazon and Google, et cetera, would have to kind of buy the benefits they want more directly. It wouldn't be on the backs of taxpayers. Um, so, yeah, there's some form of competition going on now that's kind of unhealthy between municipal governments the United States. I'd like to see a more healthy kind of competition that doesn't put the costs on taxpayers and actually allows more innovation because wherever Amazon goes, if they go to you know Indianapolis or Pittsburgh, they're still going to be under that municipal government. They'll probably enjoy some kind of tax special favors. It's really the worst of all possible worlds, all the regulations, and we have to pay for it. What changes uh, ought to be made to –
0: the federal government that would have the largest impact in terms of an individual's ability to make different choices about the regimes they live under. I'm thinking, of course, a radically smaller federal government, but also one that uh, doesn't—a lot more things are not within the purview of the federal government.
1: That's a good question. Well, uh, there's lots of things you could say there. I'm going to stick to my specialty, special jurisdictions, and um, there I would like to see the federal government use its power of preemption to clear away in certain select federal lands the effect of of local state laws and allow experimentation by private parties in these small contained areas – … with different kinds of legal regimes and also not just preempting state law but saying we, the feds, are going to back off in these areas. This is not as radical as it seems. There are already over 400 foreign trade zones in the United States wherein customs and duties don't apply. The federal government has backed off to encourage trade. I just say that's a great idea. Let's take it a little farther. Let's throw in the labor code, for example, and see where that gets us.
0: These are special economic zones. Is that right?
1: They are a type of special economic zone. They're a particular type. They are called foreign trade zones. Uh, I didn't know about them until I started researching for this book and as I said, there's over 400 of them. They're at every major uh, US port, many airports. Uh, every state has them and in these areas, the, the, there's a number of uh, sort of exemptions. The major one is there's no duties or customs on imports that stay within the FTZ. It's a secure area, chain link fence, you know, guard at the gate. It's kind of almost outside of the United States for certain purposes, and I think that's a good model. It's just too limited. We need to – it's been a success. Let's just spread it. Let's throw some other things and they're not just customs and duties. How about income tax? Imagine Googleville. Google leases a bunch of land from the federal government in Nevada, builds their own city and says, we're going to do something different here with regard to income taxes. Federal government, you're going to get a big fat check, and we're going to run Googleville as we see fit. And then Googleville, because they know there's a business, income tax is a very inefficient way to gather uh, money from your constituents—they won't use it. That would be great. Well, it might be great. We might discover it blows up, and then well, that's Google's problem. It might turn out it work great, and then somebody else can try it somewhere else. It's the beauty of experimentation at a small scale.
0: That would seem to demand repealing the Sixteenth Amendment.
1: Well, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and there are some legal things to work out. <laughs> but you know, you might say that. But I'll say this: with the FTZs, the Constitution very plainly says—the plain language says—that uh, that customs will be uniform throughout the United States. The Foreign Trade Zone Act does not seem consistent with that, and yet, uh, as I understand it, constitutional jurisprudence says that's okay. Well, maybe then we could do something on the income tax front too. It seems that the federal government is remarkably flexible when there's something they want to do, regardless of the laws that are in place, for better or mostly worse, but here it could be perhaps be a force for good. The the cleanest uh,
0: description of, I think, what you're trying to get at in, in marginal ways, the cleanest example of that seems to be seasteading. That is that – is, this is an opt-out of a much more dramatic uh, way uh, – manner than you would say moving from Kentucky to Indiana.
1: Yes, that's true. The seasteaders uh, ultimately want to have um, settlements on the, the high seas which are outside the reach of any national laws. Now, as I write in the book, there's a whole chapter on that. It's not as simple as it might seem and that's not what the seasteaders are trying now. As I speak uh, – as I describe in the book, I've done some work in French Polynesia with a project there for seasteading. That's very plainly going to be in the territorial waters of French Polynesia. There's going to be limits on how much freedom they're allowed. But it's a step in that direction towards, as you said, kind of the cleanest ultimate uh, – on earth at least <laughs> – um, project. But even on the high seas, it's not as simple as going out there and you know, saying, I'm flying my own flag. I'm a new country. That's not going to work too well. The U.S. Coast Guard's going to be on your back pretty quickly if you're anywhere close to the United States saying you're on the high seas, sure. But you got to fly a national flag if you're on the high seas or else you're a pirate or, you know, you're just you, – you don't belong. We can board your ship. Not as simple as you might think. Maybe it's not as simple as the seasetters think. But that is the ultimate goal. Right now we're taking baby steps in that direction.
0: All right. So can you project out – what is it? what does this look like in 20 years? I mean – in your idealized vision, what would that look like, and what do you think is likely? Ooh,
1: 20 years. Okay, 20 years, probably there will be certainly seasteads in territorial waters, which are in special jurisdictions created by the host countries. The one I've created for uh, French Polynesia, we've called a sea zone, sea zone. We'll see if French Polynesia gives us the legislation we need. So we would have those, but also on the high seas, in 20 years, we might have some settlements on the high seas. they probably will fly a flag of a terrestrial sovereign, maybe a special seasteading flag. Maybe 20 years, maybe the seasteaders will get together and kind of form their own flagging authority recognized by terrestrial sovereigns, kind of a new country without any dirt. Like the moon. Like the moon. Also, I think uh, if, if I have my way in 20 years, I get to be wishful about this. We will have United States special economic zones and they will be a success and we will As the Chinese learned from their early special economic zones, we'll learn from that. The SEZs in China basically lifted tens of millions of people out of abject poverty. We can credit special jurisdictions for the Chinese success of the last several decades. And the Chinese are not fools. They saw it worked in Shenzhen, so they spread it to other parts of the country. And I've done the math on this. There are now more people in China, many more, living in so-called special economic zones than there are living outside of them. So it's kind of turned the country inside out. I'd love to see that happen in the United States. We have a few SEZs that succeed. People learn from that. They say, hey, I want to have that here in in Ohio too and over here in Washington state. And the ideas in China spreads and we get more freedom, more prosperity. That's the goal. Tom Bell is
0: author of Your Next Government, From the Nation State to Stateless Nations. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.